Have you ever been in that awesome, glorious place of having more than enough? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Guys, tie to your church so that your pastors don't just say sometimes. <laughs> God wants to take you out of the place of not having enough. Take you through having just enough and take you to a place of having more than enough. I'm going to give you some principles this morning that as you take hold of will be keys for you to access finance, for you to prosper, particularly in the workplace. I believe Pastor Andrew will speak next week on tithes and finances in more detail. I'm going to focus more on work. And I want to share a, just a little illustration with you before I do so. I was running with a friend of mine up North Cliff Hill yesterday, and I was glad he was talking because I was struggling. <laughs> and he was telling me about this book that he's reading. And in the book, it was highlighting what Jesus has done. You know, before Passover in the Jewish culture, and we're approaching Passover, we're approaching Easter, the lamb four days before would be brought, and the priest would examine the lamb and would determine whether this is a perfect lamb. And once the priest said, this lamb is perfect, then the lamb would be sacrificed at Passover, and that would be a covering for the sins of the Jewish people. No mangy three-legged goats were allowed. <laughs> okay. Only a perfect spotless lamb. Now before Jesus went to the cross, he was examined. He was examined by the prophets, examined by Moses and Elijah. He was examined by Herod, examined by Pontius Pilate, and he was found to be that lamb without spot or blemish. And then he died and he paid the price for us. So we start from that point when we talk about finances. We start from that point when we talk about work. You don't have to bring your mangy three-legged goat to make yourself acceptable to God. Okay, you're already a champion. You're already a winner. So as I go through these principles, I don't want there to be anything of, I'm not accepted, I'm not loved. You are so loved and you are so accepted. And don't even try bring your own righteousness. Don't even try bring your three-legged goat. Jesus is that perfect lamb, and he has paid the full price. Today, in the word, there are keys that will cause you to prosper in the workplace and your finances. Now it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it's a beautiful passage of scripture. It talks about before you are poor, and then you're going to come into the land, and then you will prosper, and you'll be rich, and you'll be successful. And then it says... And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is I who give you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your forefathers. It is God who gives us the power to get wealth. But note there's two sides to it. God gives you the power for you to get wealth. So there's you and there's God. There's divine principles, but you need to still take hold of it and go and get that wealth. Some versions, uh, I think it's New King James, the, the power to create wealth. God wants to give you the power to create wealth, but then it's you who still needs to go out and create wealth. As far as your working life is concerned, you know you're going to work about 100,000 hours. 50 years, 
40 hours a week. I know some of you work a lot longer than that, but maybe you won't, won't work 50 years. And uh, about 48 weeks. So that's 100,000 hours. And God's intention is that you thrive, that your family thrives, your personal life thrives, your spiritual life thrives, and you thrive financially through your working life. We are called to be excellent. We are called to be integrous. We are called to be creative. We are called to show forth the glory and the beauty of God through our work. We are able, if you're taking notes, take this down. We are able to fully serve God in the secular arena. Not half serve God, but fully serve God. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under the basket but on the stand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The world is waiting for you to shine forth in the workplace. Through this, you will prosper financially too. But the world is waiting for you to, to, as the sons and daughters of the Most High to shine in the workplace. I want to talk about working disaster and working miracles. <laughs> working disaster, because some of you feel like you're in a disastrous place. And I want to look at an amazing story in Scripture of a woman who overcame in the most difficult circumstances. So call it working disaster if you like. The more positive way of looking at it is working miracles. It's seeing miracles come in the midst of your crisis, in the midst of your difficulty. A little bit of background to me. I was in full-time business. That was my ministry until I was 40. I'm in my early 50s now, 52. And um, what I share with you, I'll share a number of testimonies. All glory to God. I mean, the stakes are mine and the successes are because of God. So I'm not trying to brag, but I do want to, I will give some specific examples to inspire your faith. So you say, Lord, you did it for him. Do it for me too. Okay. So I've seen the favor of God and I've seen breakthrough and I've seen miracles. And as I share them with you, just say, Lord, you did it for him and you've done it for other people. Do it for me too. And um, so I worked as an entrepreneur. I worked in a multinational. Uh, I served on the board of a listed company in South Africa, and I've still got um, equity interests in three companies, one being technology, one education, and one in financial services. Um, and all glory to God for all of that. I want to read a passage of scripture to you, and um, just in honor to the word, why don't you stand with me as I, w as I read this. Esther chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is one law to be put to death. This was the first man cave ever. <laughs> Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come to the king these 30 days. She had no interface with the king. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep quiet at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. But who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. Hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is God's word. Thank you. May be seated. Esther has won the Donald Trump Miss Universe competition, meets the Swazi Reed ceremony, meets a Bursuk Fro. That's what she won, okay? And it was not ideal. Whether she wanted to, we're not told. But let me tell you about Esther. In many contexts, she could be described as the double loser. I mean, she was an orphan. She was disempowered. She was one of many women that this king had. She came in unmarried, which was you know, very little social status. She was from a disempowered people. She herself had minimal social capital. She was in a highly morally dubious culture. I want to highlight these things to you because sometimes we look at the circumstances around us in the workplace and go like, God, can I overcome? Can I see your hand? Can I see miracles in the midst of this? She was in a highly politicized environment and complicated. You know, the king, if he made a law, he couldn't undo it. So he had to like make another law to like rectify it. So it was like a messed up system. There was an extremely high Gini coefficient. We've seen some of the stats saying South Africa's got the highest. But you read what they did. He would hold a feast for like half a year, six months. You know, while the people were suffering, he's having a party for six months. You read the history of the Persian Empire. It's ongoing war. There was economic uncertainty expressed in ongoing drought. There was no fear of God in this environment. And she was only seen for the outward. She was not seen for who she really was. And she's in a place, I believe, not of her choice. Can you relate to any of these? (laughs) She was in a super tough situation. And yet... And yet, she overcomes. And this is what he said to her. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, scripture that my wife and I, Mike, why don't you just clean that for me, please? Just rub it on your shirt. Scripture that has led my wife and I's life has been Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And here Esther is challenged. Will she consider what she can do for the kingdom? Or will she just consider what is good for her own life? Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Bianca. God gets that you you need finances. God gets that you need to provide for your family, your wife. But the way to go about it is to seek first the kingdom of God. She's in a place of of safety, relative safety. But she's challenged to step it up. And and let me just say this. I have experienced this time and time again. As I have built God's house, I have not set apart myself to make money. Have made some money. That That has never been the mission of my life. The mission of my life has been to seek first the kingdom of God. To consider what has God called me to, just as he called Esther, has not God called Esther for such a time of, as this? What has, called you, God, what has God called you to do at this time? To serve in this house, to serve in every nation around to advance the kingdom in your workplace. Because as you get that motivation right, God, God looks upon you and you know what? You've got his attention. <laughs> You've got his attention because you're not seeking first your kingdom. 
but you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to give you four points. I'm trying to get down to like three points. I know Pastor Carol's able to do this like amazing one-point sermon. I'm not there yet, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you the first thing that Esther did, and this is something which you need to do to prosper. Esther exegetes the culture. She unpacks it. Exegete is to interpret, to understand, to break it apart. You know, God wants to give you an understanding of the economic environment that you're in. God wants to give you insight into the company that you're at. God wants to give you the knowledge of witty inventions. God wants to give you understanding of the hour and the day that you are in. And Esther prospers because she reads into the culture. And she even knows what she doesn't know. You know, like kind of that, um, she knows enough to say, I don't know the details. And when she's asked to, you know, how do you want to do this, you know, when you go face the king? It says she asked for nothing except for what the king's eunuch who had in charge of the woman advised. God wants to give us great insight to the environments that we're in. You're an entrepreneur. You're an employee. Ask God. And don't just ask God, but with diligence and understanding, seek to understand. With love and wisdom, come to understand the heart and the view of the people and the institution. Ray God and Scripture themselves, right and wrong, their core values, their experiences, their goals, their dreams, their fears, disappointments. You know, many years ago, um, there was this opposition company. I was running a financial training company, and we went head to head with a large listed company's training company. Um, it was Afrox, and uh, th they went for us. And they, they really tried to take us out. Because we came onto the market and they said, we're just going to wipe these guys out. And God, time and time, delivered us. And uh, she asked to meet me for drinks a couple of times, and I just said no. And then finally, she said, we meet for breakfast. I said, I'll meet for breakfast. And like, That's a bit safer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with my wife's approval, I met with her. And, um, and she, said, she said this to me, because we had just left, right, and center taken her clients, and we, we just were cleaning up by God's grace. And she said to me, do you know what we call you behind your back? So I said, no. She says, we call you the Teflon man. You know, like Teflon frying pans. She says, because nothing sticks to you guys. <laughs> because they were constantly coming against us. We must do our best to understand the environment. And then we leave the rest up to God to protect us, to watch our back. We do our part. God gives us the power to create wealth. We must do our utmost. But even the things that we cannot see, God will deal with and God will act on our behalf. At that time when we first started the business, um, started to, to hire people and had to hire a number of chartered accountants. So I meet this one guy, really like him, really feel good about him. I can see he's not a Christian. I suspect there's something there um, in terms of his soul, just some brokenness in him. And uh, we're going to interview him. He's done like the 360. He's met the staff. Da da da. All good. And I know that we meant to hire him. Right at the end of the thing, he says, "Roger, I just want to say um, I'm gay, and I have been for the last 10 years, and I'm in a relationship." Now, at that point in time, you feel like you're faced with one of one or two options, but there's a third. Okay. So option one is you say something like, "That's so nice." <laughs> you, you give some kind of 
that's nice, you know, kind of like a general, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm gay, okay. <laughs> that's your one option, you know. Your other option is to fall into the trap of being like this, um, you know, fulfilling the stereotypes of charismatic Christians, you know. Judgmental. Okay, can we rethink this interview process, you know. <laughs> I felt like God said this to me, and I said it to him. I said to him, Eri, I'm a born-again Christian but I will never treat you badly. I will never treat you any differently. Okay? I will always treat you with love and respect. So I hired the guy, and when we went away for Bosporat, I made the point of, because we had share rooms, I made the point of sharing a room with him. I didn't get him changed in front of him, but I made the point of, <laughs> I made the point of sharing a room with him because I wanted to speak love to him. And yet I had drawn the line by telling him who I was. So God wants to give us understanding of the environments that we're in. And you know what? There's a third way. Time and time again, there's a third way. Whereby we can glorify God and show forth His love. Whereby we can stand in righteousness and holiness. Yet also draw people to the love of God. There's the love and the mercy of God that draws people to repentance. We are called to exegete culture. You've all heard of um, IQ your intelligence quotient. You've heard of EQ, which became the rage. Okay, so the latest thing is CQ, <laughs> cultural quotient. In South Africa in particular, we need to trust God that we can up our CQ. And to do that, first and foremost, you need to understand who you are. You need to understand your own culture and where you come from and how it has shaped you. And then you need to press into God. And get a heart that is shaped by Him, that is secure, and that is liberated from cultural idolatry. So let me just say this about culture. Every culture awesomely reflects God in multiple ways. Every culture. Every culture, point two, is dynamic. In other words, it's changing. You know, the way it was, the way English culture was 20 years ago, Joburg is different to it was you know, today, 20 years ago. So every culture is changing. So what culture is today, what it'll be like in future is different. And every culture is flawed. No culture fully reflects the glory of God. So we need to be so careful that we understand who we are, the good things of our culture, but allow those things that are not good to come through the eye of the needle, to be laid down at the cross, so that we might be people who are unaffected by cultural idolatry. We're not holding on to anything except that which is good, that which is righteous, that which is pure. Can I get a yes and an amen to that? You know, it's so interesting the way Paul engages. Acts chapter 13, how he engages with believers, is different to Acts 14, the way he engages with peasants who believe in multiple gods. Then he faces sophisticated pagans in Acts 17, and then hostile Jews in Acts 21. And then he stands before leaders. Felix and Agrippa and Herod and engages them in a different way. We are called to understand that there are different tools that we are called to use at different times. We are called to exegete culture. Paul says the following and this has gone tilt but that's okay. Sorry Carol. Paul says the following in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. He says 
Though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. You know, to those who aren't Jews, he becomes like a non-Jew, not under the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by some means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its, in its blessings. Isn't Paul's heart amazing here? Whatever it takes. To the runners, I'm going to become a runner. Okay, to the book club woman, I'm going to become a book club woman. <laughs> Whatever it takes to win people, whatever it takes to reflect Jesus, even in the workplace, you're going to excel. You're going to excel so that people might see Jesus in and through you. So when I was doing my articles, I worked for the unmentionable firm of Arthur Anderson. If some of you know the story, they did a whole lot of stuff wrong and collapsed. They were the biggest auditing firm in the world and then they collapsed. Um, and um, I wanted to shine for Jesus. I really wanted to shine for Jesus. But I was with an exceptionally strong group of guys and girls. So they would work like 16 hours a day, full tilt, you know, that kind of environment. And I mean, I wanted to be like, let people see me and let people be like, wow, you know, Jesus, there's something different about you. And I was not cracking it. You know? I mean, the guys in, in my year have gone on and I can, I can mention like, names of some real business legends, men and women. Um, so I was not cracking it on a relative basis. I was like average plus, you know? <laughs> you know, like how are you? Okay, you know, just above okay, you know? And the rest of these guys, well, not the rest. I mean, it was just a su supremely strong group. And um, God just did a miracle. This guy who was going out with my sister at the time says to me, um, you know, you love your firm so much. Do you think they'd consider becoming our auditors? I said, sure. You know, um, I didn't know them at the time. It's a well-known company called Supergroup. You know, so as like a second-year article clerk, I bring in this like massive audit client to my company. Needless to say, at the end of the year, they have Employee of the Year award nationally, not because I was the best auditor, but because I brought in that one client. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. <laughs> I won the Employee of the Year award. I could just see the faces of these other people. But isn't that like God? <laughs> that God prospers us and God raises us up. And what we keep doing, I mean, I remember at times, it's like, they want me to stay later. I'm going to Connect Group. Heck, no, I'm going to Connect Group. And I'll go back afterwards, you know. And I didn't win favor when I do that to those managers. And yet God promoted and God lifted me up, you know. So we need to trust God to read the culture, but also not to be absorbed by the culture. You know the difference between the immigrant, the tourist, and the ambassador. Have you heard this? Okay, when it comes to culture, we're not the immigrant. You know what the immigrant does? He comes in and he fits in, and that's fine, and he learns the culture and the language, and it's like he never was from somewhere else. And then there's a tourist who doesn't like want to understand anything, just knows enough to say, sushi, please, you know? <laughs> We are called to be ambassadors. You know what ambassadors do? They learn the culture completely. But they know the king to whom they're reporting. And we are called to represent the king in the environment. Read the culture, but bring Jesus into the environment. The second thing we are called to do is we are called to incarnate. In 1 Peter 2 verse 12 it says, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are called to incarnate. We are called to be Jesus in the workplace. Jesus, God, came in the flesh and walked on earth. Now we are called to be Jesus. That when people see us, they go like, what is it about you? And then you don't say, it's my stunning personality, you know, or I'm just so clever. Then you say, it's Jesus in me. It's God in me. God came in the flesh in Jesus. We are now called to bring God in the flesh wherever we are. Now, when it comes to the workplace, what are we called to do? We are called to serve God and work to be personally integrous. And we're called to evangelize and disciple our colleagues. Now, I've been at all three levels, okay? I've been at the bottom of the work environment. I've been in the middle. I've been at the top. At the bottom, I felt like I can't share Jesus because I'm like nothing and I'll get into trouble with my managers. Okay? When I was a manager, I felt like I had responsibility, you know, above and below. So I can't share Jesus. Okay? And when I was the senior, I said, well, I'm leading gay people and Hindus and Muslims. So I can't share Jesus. Do you get the point? Okay? There's a lie from the devil at every point. So I share Jesus all the way through. Okay? The devil will tell you that you can't stand up and evangelize and disciple. Now, yes, don't be stupid. If you're at a deadline, don't be telling people about Jesus when you're trying to send off a, you know, a pack to head office. You know? I mean, use wisdom and use your discernment. But we are called to work hard, to be integrous. And we are called to share Jesus, whether we are top, bottom, or middle, whatever that means to you. We're also called to serve God at work and to do it in a skillful and an excellent way. We're called to glorify God. You've heard of the Shakers. Anybody heard of the Shakers? There's a furniture in America called Shaker Furniture, which is highly sought after because it was so excellently made. And it's antique furniture today, made like 200 years ago. Now, you know why they called them Shakers? Because they would shake under the power of God. So people like ripped them off and they said, are them Shakers, you know? But there were people like you and I, filled with the Holy Spirit, who said, everything I do, I'm doing to the glory of God. I'm going to be world-class. I'm going to excel in all that I do. We are called to serve God at work through creating beauty and order. Don't you want to do that? Do you ever get tired of litter and rubbish and disorder? I hope some of you do. <laughs> I mean, we are called to bring beauty and order around us. We're also called to serve God for motivation to glorify Him. And we are called to seek and engage and influence culture. Do these things by seeking first the kingdom of God. By doing these things, this is what you're doing. You're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then God adds the other things to you. And He promotes you and you get that promotion and you get that increase and you start prospering financially. But it starts with these things. But remember what I told you. You don't have to bring your three-legged goat to God. You're already accepted. Okay, your sins are already forgiven. But I am calling you up to a higher standard as believers in terms of how you represent God. How you represent God. Call to represent Him. Other things, the way we serve God at work is to work with a grateful, joyful, gospel-changed heart through all the ups and downs. This is what we say to James and Sean. It's about your attitude and it's about doing your best. It's not about what mark you get, but is your heart turned towards God and are you in your workplace saying, God, I want to glorify you as I glorify you in everything? The way we serve God at work is to do whatever gives you the greatest joy and passion. Ultimately, find what your strength is. Find where you are in your sweet spot. Now, yes, sometimes there's other things that we have to do, but find your sweet spot in God. 
And the way to serve God at work is to make as much money as you can so you can be a resource, a resource for the kingdom of God. John Wesley said, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. He didn't say spend as much as you can. He said, make as much as you can, <laughs> save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. So these are different ways in which we need to perceive the work around us. You know what was so interesting about Esther? She walked with incredible favor. She walked as Jesus walked. Jesus grew in favor and stature with God and man. And just look at these verses about her. She won his favor. She was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. She won grace and favor in his sight, and she won favor in his sight. God wants us to walk with favor. And I want to share two favor testimonies with you. I'll never forget. I even remember where it was. It was in December, walking through Eastgate, and I get a call from the financial director of South African Breweries. Like, that's a big man, you know? I mean, I knew him. I didn't know he knew me. You know? <laughs> And these were the days when um, South African Breweries was divesting and they were selling Amaral and Edgar's and Southern Sun and, and they were saying, we're just focusing, focusing on beverages. And to cut a, a long story short, he gave me a company, literally for nothing. Please will you take this company over? And I said, oh, we can take it over, but there's certain you know, long-term costs associated. You've got leases. He says, okay, we'll cover those as well. So we actually came out cash positive. So not only did we get a company, they funded us for a year and a half. Now, a guy like that doesn't get to where he is from being stupid. <laughs> okay? He knows his numbers. God moved on our behalf. God moved on our behalf. And I wasn't praying, Lord, give me a company for free. But in future, maybe you should pray that. <laughs> But God wants us to incarnate Jesus. And as we incarnate him, you know what happens? Favor comes. The favor of God comes upon us. Um, I had partners, Jewish partners, and they told me, they taught me a lot about business by what they showed me and what they did to me. I mean, it was like... <laughs> and eventually, to deal with the partnership, we actually sold into a company. And uh, at the end of the Prophet Warren period, we decided... No, I decided, because I was no longer in partnership with them, to buy the company back. And um, that was an interesting story. In buying the company back, we bought it back for a half PE. Okay? What that means is the earnings of the company for the year, the projected earnings for, the, for a year, okay? half of that, in other words, the earnings for six months, we bought the company back, which is like, it's like, what, what's your favorite car again, Mike? Give, give us a car. Okay, it's like getting a, rain, a Range Rover for like, a brand new Range Rover for like 10,000 Rand. I mean, the, can we do that, Lord? <laughs> God wants to favor your life. How do you get it? By seeking first the kingdom of God. Romans 8 verse 19 says, For all of creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. God wants to prosper you in your finances. Will you determine to be Jesus in your workplace? Will you determine to incarnate? Next thing that she does, and I'll be brief, is she brings revival. Esther brings revival into the workplace. She says the following, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast. She brings like a prayer revival into the place. 
and God moves. I'll never forget time after time when we were facing big tenders, we would call everybody. So the gay guy came, and uh, the Hindu people came, and the Muslims came, and I would say, Jesus, we need this contract. <laughs> Move on our behalf, you know. And they'd all just stand there, you know. Nobody would say much, you know. The one Christian girl would be like, amen, you know. <laughs> it wasn't long prayers, you know. It was like maybe we'd pray for like 10 minutes. But you know what? We were moving them towards God. Okay? And we were unashamed of the gospel. And then when the contracts came against all the odds, it was like, wow. God's answering. God's moving. It says about the city of Susa after what Esther did. It says, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And this is what we are called to bring. And this is what we are called to experience. As we bring revival, this is what happens. The other thing that Esther brings, which is amazing, is she brings reformation. She brings structural change into that empire. Some of you are called to bring structural change to your company. Some of you are called to bring structural change to the nation. Change the human resource policies. Change the way business is done. This is what Esther does and says, if the thing seems right before the king, and I'm pleasing in his sight, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agat. See what she's doing? She's actually bringing change to the entire environment. So not only are we called to read the culture, not only are we called to incarnate Jesus, we are called to bring revival, the presence and the power of God. And then beyond that, we are called to reform the environments around us. I'm going to ask that we pray. I apologize for going slightly over time, but let's bow our heads together. Father, it's your will that we move from not enough through just enough to more than enough. And Father, we thank you for the example of Esther. Lord, the way that she, she navigated such a difficult environment. Lord, with skill, with understanding, with discernment, Lord God. Lord, for the way she incarnated in those environments, it walked with favor, and, and the way she brought revival, and the way she brought reformation. Father, we are grateful for her example. And, and Father, we pray for that same anointing to be upon us. Lord, this grace in our working environment to glorify you, to honor you. I want to pray for breakthrough for those of you who need it in your working context. I'm not specifically praying for your finances. We'll do that next week. But if you need breakthrough in the working environment, just stand to your feet quickly. And Pastor Carol and I are going to pray for you. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a dead-end situation. Maybe you need work. Um, if you're not standing and there's people around you, just get out of your chair and put your hands on them. Let's be Jesus to one another. Father, it's you who give us the power to make wealth. It's you who grace us, Lord God, for our working environment. And Father God, we look to you now for miracles. We look to you for signs and wonders. Lord, as you've done it for so many before, do it again, Lord God. Do it for your sons and daughters, Lord God. We pray for promotions. We pray for increase. We pray for favor. We pray for boldness. We pray, Lord, that they would build your house, Lord God. And as they build your house, you would build theirs, Lord God. 
Bless your sons and daughters with courage, Lord God. Bless them with favor. Bless them with your presence. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I ask for supernatural favor. Right now, we just declare that over these ones, that they are surrounded by a favor so thick that even their enemies must bless them. Lord God, we just declare miracles and signs and wonders, as Roger said. Lord God, I ask for gifts of companies, Lord God, for open doors, for extravagant change in their environments, Lord God. Father God, we ask that you would remove hindrances to them progressing, Lord God. And Father God, we ask that you would place inside of them a grace that is beyond their ability to be excellent to be outstanding to be wise to say the right thing at the right time and to be in the right place at the right time lord god we declare this in jesus name father god bring them to remembrance to the people through whom you will bless them lord god thank you father and all of god's people said amen and amen can we give the lord a hand